Morning, everyone. Morning. <clears throat> I hope everyone's having a great day, great month, August. For the parents, kids will be in school soon, party time, right? Um, so we're going to continue our study of Genesis. Um, and I'm going to talk about um, Genesis 29 through 31. Um, we're going to talk about, <clears throat> as I call the deceivers, the family of lies. We're going to talk about uh, Jacob and his uncle and what's all going there. Um, let's start off with prayer. Father, thank you for this wonderful time that we could be here. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we come worship you, Lord, and um, just uh, hear from you, Lord. In your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. <clears throat> we left off last time. Jacob had fled from his brother Esau, um, and Isaac had told him that he needed to go to, to a place called Padan Aram to find a wife. He's going to go to family that was there. Um, on his way, of course, he has the dream and the, you know, has this, I always say, the stairway to heaven, and I keep thinking of Led Zeppelin every time I say that, but it is kind of like a stairway to heaven, right? Um, but as we pick up, Jacob is just enter, entering the area uh, where he'll spend 20 years of his life. Um, and he'll have uh, his share of craziness. Now, uh, those that have, were here some years back when I did my sermon on Joseph and his family, I called that sermon Keeping Up with the Israelites, which was a play on the Keeping Up with the Kedardashians, because they said, you know, their life is pretty crazy. In fact, it's crazier than that show. And no one's pandering to the camera. No one's making stuff up, so they'll get more more airtime. It actually was a real. This stuff is real. This is how it ha played out. So this time for Padre, I decided to run with that theme a little bit, and I decided that Jacob's life could be broken up into what, say, like three movies or three TV shows. And I decided that they would be Seven Year Fiance, which is a play on the 90 Day Fiance thing. Um, the Real Housewives is Aram, and The Great Escape. But unfortunately, we will not be seeing Steve McQueen do that famous jump over the, or, you know, one of the best movie scenes of all time, of course. Um, all right, so let's get going. Um, seven Year Fiance. So I, I've, never, uh, I've never seen this show. I honestly say I've never seen it. I've seen it talked about it. But my understanding is, is that people get their, the fiance, which is the K visa, got 90 days as the law requires to marry. And I guess it produces a certain level of drama. Because I looked it up, they're, they're in their ninth season. So clearly this thing is, people are watching this show. Um, when we pick up our story, Jacob is just entering that area. Um, and he's in search of the one, right? You know that magical person that you find that makes all well with the world. Um, this is how my wife describes me, of course. I know. Thank you for laughing. Um, so the Bible paints a picture, right? He's on this long journey, and he's been, he's, he's go to see family, and he comes up, and he sees this well, it has this large rock on it, and there's some shepherds, or some sheep nearby, and some shepherds, um, uh, and it's called the land of the eastern peoples, and so apparently the Bible tells us that people would bring all their sheep, and when they were all there, they, the shepherds would push or roll away this rock, and then water their, uh, their sheep there. 
Um, as he walks up, he starts to have a conversation with the shepherds, asking them where they're from. They go, we're from Laban. Or I'm sorry, they were from Haran. He says, do you know Laban? That's, that's uh, Jacob's uncle. And he says, of course we do. And Jacob says, is he well? Yes, yes, he's well. And his daughter, Rachel, is coming. And, you know, the one, you know, when she comes, the light shines on her, and they hear that carpenter songs, right? Why do birds suddenly appear? Every time, right? It's playing in the background, right? As he sees her come up. Jacob then mentions to the shepherds, you know, why aren't you watering the sheep, you know? Um, and they said, no, no, we, we don't do that until all the flock arrive. Um, so just as his seven-year fiancé comes above, <clears throat> and he learns that she's a shepherd, or at least we're told that she's a shepherd. And we see this passage. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother and Laban's sheep, uh, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Now, <clears throat> I was trying to figure out what this looked like because, you know, they said the shepherds rolled this away, and here he's just rolling it away. So the impression I get, it's a big rock. Um, and, you know, I, I used to hang out with people that like to lift a lot, um, you know, and stuff. And I, I know that you're thinking, I, it, it, clearly that's where I get my muscular build, right? Um, Clearly didn't rub off on me. Um, but, you know, it's funny when you get around guys and you see it when a pretty woman walks by and you get a bunch of guys. Guys act a little goofy, right? They start, you know, genuflexing. They, start, they don't point like this anymore. They point like this, you know, like it's over there, you know, so they can show how big their muscles are, right? <laughs> and, you know, and I'm wondering, you know, did Jacob see Rachel and go, like, pull off his shirt to show off his muscles? You know, let me take care of that for you, darling, as he, you know, uh, you know and pushes the rock away, right? Now, maybe it wasn't like that at all. Maybe he was just happy to see his cousin, you know, and he was pretty excited to see her. And so he walks up to her, begins to weep, um, you know, kisses her, explains he's a relative. Now, I assume he explained the relative part before he kissed her, because that would be a little creepy, like, who's this weird guy coming up to kiss me? She runs and tells her father, Laban comes, you know, I guess they kiss as well, which clearly that would be the custom of the time. Um, and then he, you know, he brings... Um, he brings uh, uh, Jacob home, and he says, you are my own flesh and blood. So there's a connection. Family's here. He's with family. He's excited. Now, we find Jacob is in love, but there's a price to be paid. Um, but after a month, Laban approaches him. And he says, you know, you shouldn't work for nothing. Name your price. We learn that Laban has actually another daughter. Um, and uh, it's an older daughter, you know, and her name is Leah. And the Bible describes her this way. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what that term means, weak eyes. Um, since Rachel is described as beautiful and Jacob really likes her, the impression you get, that's a polite way of saying she has a face for radio. But... Um, <laughs> However, some speculate maybe that's why, you know, that was my, her, her one feature because um, uh, um, Rachel, you know, is you know, described as, as, I don't know, it says lovely in form. I was thinking she might, maybe she's curvy. I don't know. Um, since, uh, you know, since I've been working more with Afghans and particularly Muslims, you know, you get a lot of people that, you know, dress a lot more modestly. And it's, what the thing is, is interesting, as I was reading this story and as I was reading, you know, before with um, Isaac and, and Rebecca, and it started to kind of paint a picture for me of, you know, clearly in Americans we don't dress this way, and so it offered a nice picture and to kind of think of how people were dressed and how women dressed at that time. And I've been around uh, women who dressed in full length 
to where all it's showing is their face. And then you throw on a mask and then all you see is their eyes. And so I, I kind of wonder too, is like, well, I guess that's the imagery we have and how much could you see and how much could you know of Rachel? Whether I always wonder, like, how could you know? And maybe all you saw was the eyes, so if you didn't have good-looking eyes, then maybe you weren't attractive. I don't know. So it just got me thinking a lot more about that. Nonetheless, um, Jacob has the hots for, for Rachel. And he responds, I will work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now that's a steep price to pay for love. What's interesting is we don't see that Laban offered, you know, told him that, Jacob offers to work seven years for her, which I just think, wow. I guess it just goes to prove that people who are in love do stupid things. <laughs> Laban agrees. Of course he did. My goodness, seven years? Um, um, it, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with Now that, I don't trust a lot of what Laban says uh, as you get through this, but I actually, that's probably true. He probably felt that. Because as we saw with, you know, Abraham and, I mean, Abraham and Sarah, they were, they were half-siblings, right? And it was very common to marry very close relatives. And that still exists in the world today. I've, I've worked on cases where people, well, so where are you born? They write the city down. Where was your wife born? Oh, same city. And you realize that, you know, people, you know, like us, you know, we're, we're, we go places, you know, we meet people from all over. That's not always the case. It wouldn't certainly been the case this time. You, you married somebody probably from your town, maybe from your family. Um, now, that's a steep price to pray. Oh, I was going to say is that um, Jacob served seven years, but the Bible says it seemed like a few days. Again, the Carpenter song playing in the background, right? Um, after seven years, Jacob demands his wife. And I always thought this was an interesting statement he made. Um, give me my wife. Give me my wife. Um, well, I guess the cold showers weren't working anymore. My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. You know, um, some versions say I want to make I want to make love with her, and I always think that's a really odd thing to say to your future father-in-law. Um, Laban brings together many people for the wedding feast, as is common for that time. You know, the big time, um, but he pulls a fast one. He, uh, at the night, uh, that moment of the wedding, he pushes Leah forward, um, and Jacob doesn't realize it until morning. He wakes up morning, looking longingly over at his, the love of his life, only to be horrified at the sight of the wrong woman. It reminds me of a statement I heard once of somebody after going through a lot of struggles. He, uh, it says, it goes kind of like this. After many struggles, I thought I finally had seen the light at the end of the tunnel, only to realize it's the light of the oncoming train. Um, so Jacob is, is stuck, though. He's consummated this marriage. He could not get out of it. It doesn't matter that he married the wrong woman. I find myself wondering how this all played out. What was the conversation with Laban and his daughters? Did he keep Rachel away so she couldn't mess it up? You know, what did he tell Leah? What, how did Leah feel? Did she feel like, this is okay. I, I can marry someone that doesn't care anything about me. Did she feel like she was treated as property? You know, she's forced to marry this person that when he awakens, there's no, honey, you look so beautiful. Oh, you know, I'm so glad that we could finally be together. Plus, you know, how does Jacob not realize it's not her? I mean, was he really that drunk? Um, but then again, maybe it was night. You know, there was not a lot of light. People are covered up. Maybe 
you know, things don't work out. Well, he runs to Laban, demands an answer, where Laban gives him some sorry excuse. Um, and there's a lot of debate about whether this was really the custom. He says it's our custom that we marry. Um, the, the, uh, the older one must marry first. But he tells Jacob he can marry um, uh, Rachel, but he has a few more conditions. Um, I'll just tell you what that, I didn't type those up. He must first finish the bridal week with Leah, um, after which he can immediately marry Rachel. And Bill's not here, and he made me promise that I would remind people of this, that um, he didn't have to work another seven years before he could marry. He married her right after the, week, the one week with Leah. But he did have to work seven more years. That was the condition. Um, so the seven-year fiancé turns into 14 years of service. Now, that's the price to pay for love. Um, I was thinking about Laban and his family. It's almost like deception is part of this family. It's like it's part of their DNA. Think about it. Rebecca conspires with Jacob to steal Esau's um, blessing. Jacob maneuvers to take Esau's birthright. Laban deceives Jacob to not only marry off his older daughter, but to also force Jacob to work for him longer. It is like, like I said, it's like deception is part of the DNA of this family. Um, when I think of this, I'm reminded of the statement uh, to, that God says to Noah, um, and this is, um, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. Some people will look and say, well, no, I'm not evil. You know, Adolf Hitler, that was evil. You know, I just, I just mess up now and then. You know, we're not that bad. However, the Bible says otherwise. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin, and sin is evil. Um, you know, it's just that some sins are more, some of us are accustomed to certain sins, where other of us are more accustomed to other sins. These people are incredibly self-absorbed and seem to only care about themselves. So that's the end of that show. We're on to the next one, The Real Housewives. And really, it's, it's, it's a story about capturing the love of Jacob. <clears throat> now, I hate to admit I've actually seen the Real Housewives show. I'd like to tell you I'm above that, but I am not. I watched the first season many years ago, The Real Housewives of Orange County. And if I, I'm remembering correctly, they describe this, you know, is, is people with lots of money. Orange County does have its areas of very, uh, people with lots of money. Um, and a woman saying that most of the women have had enhancements. Um, and they were all blonde, it seemed like. And, it, and it, you know, it swam of shallowness and what have you. Of course, you can ask me if it was really that way, why was I watching that show? I think I had way too much time on my hands. In our, in our passage, we next see this pursuit of Jacob's infection. And I like to call it baby gate, if you will. This, that is, babies are used as pawn to draw in Jacob's love. The Bible says this, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, and that's a pretty strong statement. Think about that. You know, God recognizes it. He sees it. She is not loved. But he has compassion. He opens her womb, but Rachel remains barren. You know, this is interesting. Leah, he sees Leah is not loved. And what does he do? He doesn't necessarily fix it. 
He does not make it so that Jacob loves her. He just comforts her. When we have a problem, what do we want? We want God to fix it, make it better, change it. However, sometimes he will not, and he, will, he wants us to be satisfied with his comfort. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul, where he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that the Christ's power may rest in me. For some of us, our struggles will be like Paul's thorn. While God is willing to comfort Leah, he is also not afraid to stir it up with Rachel, Rachel's barren. And that, you know, was a mark for a lot of women, was having children, your self-worth was wrapped up in whether or not you had children. Leah then proceeds to have four straight boys. And each is a cry for help to her husband. Uh, We see how she responds to each one she has. Reuben, she says, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Simeon, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. Levi, now at least my husband will become attached to me. And Judah, this time I will praise the Lord. Look at the pain in the voice. Pay attention to that. She's crying out to her husband and he does not do anything. Um, Now, you know, and there's debates about the multiple wives. It was apparently okay at this time, all right? And he had a wife and he needed to love her as much as he loved the other one. Um, After the fourth child... Rachel can't take it anymore. She is jealous and she, is, she will not lose out to her sister. She demands that Jacob give her children. With a little guilt added in, she says, give me children or I'll die. Well, what, is, what are you going to do with that? Okay, what can I do about that? And he responds that way. I don't be control. Am I in the place of God? Um, I would like to think that I am not like Rachel and Leah. I don't have sibling rivalries. Um, I'm better than that. And then I was reminded, the Lord is good, is he not? Reminded me of a story some years back. And reminded me of other stories. The Lord, you can turn it off now. I got it, all right? I am, not, I am like them. But one was, um, I have a younger brother. He's six years younger than me. And this was back in the late 90s. Um, he had been dating somebody for a while. We, I, with, my, with our parents, and I, they came out, went to dinner. And he starts to share it. Instantly, I know what he's going to say. And I'm thinking, oh, no, he's going to say he's going to get married. And he goes, get married. And, you know, honestly, my first thought was not, oh, that's awesome. That's great. It was, how dare you get married before me? <laughs> was the first thought that went through my head, right? And, um, and then I've even seen this when, when, you're, when you have siblings and you all start having kids around the same time. It creates a weird dynamic sometimes, like, you know, as if there's a competition, which, by the way, there is. We had four kids. You're all behind, right? Right? There's always a competition. But it does. It happens. It comes together. We next see Jacob um, and his family. Um, it's something I struggle with. You know, I realize it's a different time. I, I do. But it is still difficult. Rachel gives his maid ser- maidservant, Bilhah, um, to Jacob as his wife. Now, that's three wives. He was struggling with two. Now he has three. Um, how, you know, how can he deal with the three? I struggle with this because women are treated a little bit more like property. And I, 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 I tried to look this up to try to grasp it, and I still don't. But it is what it is. 
Um, nonetheless, Bilhah conceives, and as the custom, Rachel gets to claim that as her own. It's like she has kids. And we see this response from Rachel. God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. She names him Dan. Now, there's a phrase that goes through my head often now. It's God is, all, is blamed for many things. It's this idea that people have terrible theology, and they foolishly assume that God is blessing their bad actions. I see this here. When Pilah has a second son, Rachel says, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Nephtali. Yeah, I'm really sure that God is concerned that she beats out her, her sister on the whole children thing, right? Uh, note that the Bible says that God had blessed Leah, but you don't see that same thing written about the maidservants. It wasn't like God was per se saying, yes, you know, I'm going to bless them to have kids. But they did, I mean, because it's how it goes. Um, Leah does not like this. You know, and you can point but Leah, you know, you're still ahead four to two, right? Um, <laughs> But, but that wasn't good enough, so she gives Jacob her maidservant, Zilpah. Now Jacob has four wives. My goodness. I always just fathom that. Really? Four? You know, I, I love my wife, but one is, is enough work, please. <laughs> Zilpah has two children, Gad, which is, means what good fortune, and Asher, I don't, did I put them? I did put them here. What good fortune in Asher, how happy I am, the woman will call me happy. We then see the story where Reuben, Leah's oldest son, it's kind of an odd story, you know, at first you may not understand, where he finds this thing called mandrakes, or if you're a Harry Potter fan, mandragora. Oh, I forgot we're Christians, we don't watch Harry Potter, right? So forget that. Wondered if it, you know, he pulled the plan out, the sound, and he fainted maybe, right? Because he didn't have his earmuffs on. Um, okay, I'll get inside. The mandrakes were apparently, and this is really, you get into this like demand for the mandrakes, it was considered an aphrodisiac, um, but it also was associated with fertility. Like, I guess if women thought if I ate this, then I would become more fertile. It was, it was a thing. Upon seeing this, Rachel demands that Leah give her some of them. Leah responds, and again, I always feel like the, the you know, every now and then you get these statements and you just think, my God, what is going on in this family? And what is the attitudes? But this is what she says. God has presented me with a precious... Um, oh, wait. No, wrong one. Sorry. Um, where did I get it? Oh, I left it off. Sorry. Um, I forgot to put this one in. Leah responds, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Think of those words. Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrake. That's kind of a weird thing, but hey. Um, so Leah trades the mandrakes with Jacob. And as the saying goes, you can't make this up, right? This is like, this actually happened. I would never think to make this up. It just happens, right? Uh, when Jacob comes home from the field, Leah says to him, you must sleep with me. I have hired you with my son's mandate. So Jacob is a prostitute, and Rachel is his John, right? Um, Leah conceives again, um, saying, God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband. She names him Gisachar. Again, bad theology there. Um, I don't think that's why God gave you a sixth son. And she re responds this way. God has presented me with a precious gift. 
This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. I mean, he gets six sons, wow. She named him Zebulon. Then she also has a daughter, Dinah. She had seven children. She was very blessed, I think, by the Lord. Um, um, but you can really see that cry, that, that, that desire to be loved by her husband. It reminds me of the past. I don't have it down here, but, you know, in Ephesians, uh, where, where Peter, uh, now I'm blanking, you know, the pastor where he says well, how men should love their wives as Christ loves the church. That's our example, and that clearly Jacob wasn't doing that. And you go, well, this is Old Testament, not New Testament. But that is really what God desires for men to do, to love their wives that way. Um, uh, and then... Uh, <clears throat> And then it says, and then it says, finally, God remembered Rachel. It's a way of saying that God, God has heard her, that he is going to do something for her. He listened to her and opened her womb, and she gives birth. Um, Rachel gives birth to Joseph, saying, God has taken away my disgrace. So that's the end of that show. We get to the last one, The Great Escape. For those that remember the movie, there was a number of Allied troops who escaped from a um, German concentration, or not concentration, but a German prisoner war camp. Uh, and there's this, of course, the awesome scene with Steve McQueen, you know, jumping. Um, now this, uh, this uh, you know, and so in this story, though, Jacob is in somewhat of a prison of sorts, if you will. And I, I know he's a bit dramatic in all of he does, but he is, he is kind of in a prison in this. Um, and he decides it's time to return to, to home to the land of his father's. Um, and he tells Laban, you know, give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. He had served his 14 years. It was time. He had given his time. He wants to go home. You know how much work I've done for you. Laban doesn't want him to go. He learns through divination that the Lord is blessing him because of Jacob. Jacob is the meal ticket, so to speak, and Laban wants him to stay. So he tells Jacob to name his wages. Jacob responds, reminding him all the hard work he's done for Laban. Jacob tells Laban to not give him anything, but says this. I know it's a bit long. I'm kind of, it, it gets a little confusing, but if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, or every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages, and my honesty will testify uh, in the future. Wherever you, whenever you check the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark-covered will be considered stolen. Laban agrees. But then the king of deception has all of those particular um, spotted or speckled or dark-colored lambs and goats removed and taken away by his sons, and then it says it um, moves them three days from Jacob. So when Jacob goes down to collect, there's nothing to collect. To counter this, Jacob employs this technique. And honestly, it's a little confusing exactly what he does, but it somehow involves like peeling the bark off and putting it in the trough, and then when they're in heat, they're facing it. And I often really kind of wondered, what is this all about? And how does that work to cause, you know, sheep and goats to start to have spots or streaks or to be dark colored? Um, and we learned it's just a folk custom. It was, it was something that people said this would happen if you do it. Um, there's no scientific evidence. There's the, the truth is, in spite of what Laban tried to do, God blessed Jacob. All right. 
And so what can happen, too, is sometimes we always have to be careful of situations like this where we assume that it's happening for one thing and we're not seeing God's hand at work. Um, <clears throat> but here, God, you know, turns the tables on Laban. Because of Jacob's great wealth, however, his relationship with Laban starts to go bad. Now, you have to understand, prior to this agreement, Jacob still really had nothing. He had four wives and a bunch of children, and then he had to ask for them to come. But he didn't have great wealth at that time. He makes the deal. Now he's, you know, it's, it's taken off. He has, um, it says that, you know, I, I believe it says that he, you know, uh, he, he gains all of these things. And because of this, you know, the relationship starts to go bad. And then he hears uh, this said to him, said to by Laban's son, Jacob has taken everything our father owed, and he has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. Then the Lord tells Jacob, then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and your relatives, and I will be with you. I under, oh, it didn't show up in there. Uh, note that last sign, line there, I will be with you. Um, so Jacob tells him, or God tells Jacob to go back, tells him to be with, and then he sends for Rachel. And I apologize, it's a little long, but I think it's important what is said here. He says, um, I see that your father's attitude towards me. And so he, he calls to them and they meet him in the field. I always found that was interesting because I think it, it kind of shows you what's going on. This isn't a conversation around the dinner table at night of, hey, I was thinking we should go do this. This is something that is done in secret. And he said to her, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has seen, has been with me. You know I have worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said the speckled ones was your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled ones. And if he said the streaked ones were your wages, then all the, the flocks were bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flocks are streaked, speckled, or spotted, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now leave the land at once and go back to their native land. To me, this is God stepping forward with his plan. He's got a plan, and it involves Jacob. It just has, doesn't solely mean Jacob. He's interjecting, saying, now is the time I was the God that you put that little stone on the ground. I'm the same God. I've got this plan going. So you see later, no matter what happened to Jacob, God protected him. I was thinking about this and it occurred to me, um, when God reveals what he is doing, he does so for our benefit. God can bless Jacob without Jacob knowing it. You know, he can, uh, you know, Jacob could think his technique works, right? Um, However, God revealed himself to Jacob to show Jacob that his success was due to God's working in his life. Then Leah and Rachel respond, pay close attention again to their words, particularly how they feel about their father. 
And they say, do we still have a share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what has, was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever he has told you. So they're willing to turn their back on their father. They do not think well of their dad, which is not a great thing, but that is what it is. Um, Jacob then devises this plot to escape with his family. And uh, when Laban was going to take his sheep out to be sheared, which apparently takes like three days or so, he would be away. So it was a time to escape. The Bible tells us that Jacob deceived Laban. Again, the family, this is obviously a family trait. They're gonna, deception is a part of it. He deceives Laban by not telling him he was running away. Uh, <clears throat> but stopping right there, consider how he is reacting. God told him he would be with him. The implication that God was going to take care of him and protect him. Why then would he be sneaking around? I think of what Abraham did. When, Abraham, when God told Abraham, you're going to have children, and, you know, and we have to remember, Abraham, to have, in order to have children, has to have something go on to have those children, and he, which means he has to be alive. Why was Abraham afraid that he would be killed? We see the same thing again. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and you know, we understand why he might be afraid in the normal consequences, because power at this time was in the family. It wasn't in a police force. It wasn't in some big military. It was in their family. We see that at Abraham's time when he goes and saves Lot because he actually was able to get two to three hundred guys to go attack and save Lot after this war that went on. However, the Lord, the Lord promised he is with Jacob. So when Laban comes... So, Moving on in our story, Laban discovers that Jacob has escaped, so he chases after him. Um, and it takes him, I think, about seven days to reach him. However, as he approaches him... Oh, I'm sorry, I read that story. Okay. Um, as he approaches him, God says to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob either good or bad. And so Laban approaches Jacob, and he says these words. Um, oh, I completely did not. Sorry, I apologize. I didn't get all my, all my verses in here. What, um, what have you done? You deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why did you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing and music of tambourines and harps. You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I am, have the power to harm you, but last night the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Good or bad. Now you have done, gone off um, because you longed to return to your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? One thing I always wondered if this was truthful. Um, you know, clearly Laban wasn't a guy to be trusted. Did he really care that much that he couldn't say goodbye? Because that's what he's saying. Um, I just don't know. I just don't know. I mean, it just it makes me wonder. Like, did he really care about them that much? Was he more upset about other things? Was he? I mean, clearly, was he upset that he maybe he'd be losing his source of income? Although maybe at this point he didn't feel like it was that way. Jacob responds that he was afraid and that Laban could take his daughters back by force. So he was afraid. 
even though that God had told him he would be with him. He then, t- and, and the interesting thing is that even though he, he lacks that strong faith, God doesn't cast him adrift. Oh, you know, I told you, I just told you I'd be with you, and now you screwed up. Well, I'm just going to let you go. You know, I'll let him kill you. No, God still protects him because he keeps his promises, even though we struggle on our end, right? He should have not been afraid, but he was afraid. Um, and, that Laban, and so he was afraid he would kill him and take his heart. He then tells Laban that he finds, if he finds anyone with his gods, they will not live. Jacob says this not knowing that the love of his life had stole her father's household gods and had them under his saddle. Um, if he will, if he if they are found, he will lose the one, the love of his life. Laban searches everyone's tent, and when he approaches Rachel, she tells him that she can't get down from the camel because she is having her period. So he doesn't search it. Again, the lying, deception, family of lies—it all keeps going. And you know, I again, I really see this. God doesn't punish us for all of our sins every time. He lets it go on, right? He lets us continue to move on. Now, just a side note on the gods. What does that mean? Because it's a curious thing. Why It says that she went in there and stole her dad's household. Like, I thought it was all about the Lord. What are we messing with, like, godly images? I, that's at least my thought. Um, and so I just kind of looked it up. And there's some speculation about this, that what the gods might have represented. Like, um, it could, the gods sometimes are identified as the legal heir of the state. The legal heir of the state has the gods. Like, I guess it's, they're passed down. Um, they're also used for divination, and we know that that's Laban did this. Also, they might have been costly. They might have been worth a lot of money. I think she took them because she wanted to, excuse my frankness, but she wanted to screw her dad. You know, you've treated me this way. You sold me off. I'm going to take something that's really valuable, something that's clearly important to you, and I'm just going to take it from you. I think that's why she did it. Again, you know, not greatest response, but I think that's, how, that's why she did it. Jacob then becomes indignant. He, he responds in this way. What is my crime, he asks Laban. <clears throat> what sin have I committed that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods and have you, and have you found that um, that belongs to your household, put it here in front of your relatives and mine. Let them judge between the two of us. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not, mis- have not miscarried, nor have... Um, I'm going to read it from here, sorry. Um, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to make sure I don't, I don't get a... I've been with you for 20 years. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. Um, <clears throat> I did not bring your animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself, and you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the day daytime and the cold at night and the sleep fled from my eyes it was like this for 20 years i was in your household i worked for you 14 years for you two daughters and six years for your flock and you changed my wages 10 times for if god if the god of my father the god of abraham and the fear of isaac had not been with me you would surely have sent me away empty-handed but god has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands and last night he rebuked you I think it's a really strong statement about what his life has been like. He worked very hard. I mean, I don't think Jacob is perfect, but it does, it, it does show the hardship. And it also shows how God can work in any situation. 
If God so chooses, no matter how, how difficult the situation is, God can make it happen. All right? He's not dependent on the natural forces of things, even though those are the things that he set up. Uh, then they make a covenant. They plant a stone in the ground of their covenant and how they won't um, kind of cross to each other's side. And that's where our story ends. I want to conclude with just some final statements. One is, this is something to go back on what, what Seth said last, last week. You know, we see crazy people here. We see lots of stories, interesting stories. And they are. They are fascinating. I think they're just fun even just to read about what happens in people's lives. But the truth is, and, and Seth said this last week, the Bible isn't about those people. The Bible is about God and God's relationship with us and relationship with them. The focus is always God and what is God doing. Um, the second is God is always in control. Um, I thought he's gone through my head. Does, does, does God make things happen or does he take advantage of what we do? It's a little bit like the chicken or the egg kind of, you know, we know that, that nothing happens unless God allows. We see that from this passage, right? Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live to do this or that. Yet he allows a lot. I think he takes advantage of our, of our screw-ups. I think he takes advantage of For instance, he took a poor man, Jacob, and made him rich despite what Laban did. Two is, he used the woman's rivalry to create the tribes of Israel. You know, he took that situation, he didn't, you know, he, he, he had a little prompting here and there, but he allowed that emotion, he allowed their attitudes, their, their wrongful approaches to things, and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create this huge nation from this messed up situation because he's God. The book is about God and how he is able to work in spite of how we are acting. Another one is, I brought this up before and I think this is emblematic of all this, of God's working, is God's patience. Uh, we see God's patience, but it appears, you know, I, I say it, it's two applications. God's patience with his plan. God is content with plans taking a long time. Um, he, is, he, he, you know, he waited. He waited for Jacob. He made Jacob work hard for 20 years. You know, I'm sure Jacob would go, Lord, you know, did I really have to go for that? You know, this would have been a lot simpler. Why don't you just bring the woman to me? Why don't you just bring the wealth to me? So much easier. But he didn't. No, no, Jacob, you're going to go through this. Don't worry. It's all part of how I'm going, how I'm working. He's also patient with us. We still see Jacob as a guy that, yes, he, you know, he, he's committed to God, but like the rest of us, sometimes struggles with, with trusting God always. Even when God tells us, even when God told him, by the way, I'm going to be with you. And this isn't like the New Testament where I will never leave you nor forsake you, where we know we can still go through tough times. He was really in this context, I believe, telling him, look, I'm going to, I'm going to protect you through all of this. Um, God will at times choose to comfort rather than fix us. And we see that with Leah. And we have, you know, that's the thing about being a follower of Christ and a follower, you know, being a believer is sometimes we need to be satisfied with the comfort and not knowing that God's always going to fix us. And the last one is, and I don't know if it's going to be a closing song or not, um, Pablo. Um, God is at work even when you do not see him. And I think this really kind of came alive to me. I've been thinking more and more about this is that, um, you know, because I often wonder, you know, where's the hand of God in things? You know, do, do we really see the hand of God? And because he's God, he can do things without you ever seeing it. And that, yeah, I think sometimes when he reveals his hand, he's doing it for us. 
to say, look, I'm, I'm going along. I just want you to know. I don't have to point this out because I can make it happen whether you see it or not. So I think he does it, he does it for us, and he's doing it even if we don't see him. Uh, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this wonderful time. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for um, being with us today. Help us to grasp something out of this story uh, that we can take home this week and apply to our lives and, and ponder and think about. And just bless this week. Bring us back safely next week. In your name, just pray. Amen.